Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we are going to finish the chapter this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 27. Paul writes, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come, into, come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. There ends the reading of a God's inerrant word this morning. Let us pray before we go through our passage this morning. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you have again given us your word that we might know you, that we might know what you expect from us. We thank you and praise you for the Holy Spirit that you have given us that is indwelling us and now is giving us the illumination so that we might understand your word. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can understand it, not just because it's in human language, but because we actually have a divine interpreter that you have given to us. And so this morning, again, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher, that he would be the one that would reveal the truths of, your word of, God, of the word of God and impress them upon our hearts, that we might understand, that we might apply, we might obedient, and that we might reflect more the image of our Lord Jesus Christ and the things that we do and say, because we have dwelt with our God here this morning and we have heard from him through your word this morning, I pray. In your name, amen. Well, we have been going through this section in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we have been really dealing with issues around the Lord's Supper. Issues around the Lord's Supper. And we started and we said that a proper celebration of the Lord's Supper would promote unity within the church. And we started back in verse 17, where Paul says, But in giving instructions, I do not praise you because you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. And the Corinthians were coming together and celebrating the Lord's Supper as part of their love feasts, but instead of doing something that was honorable to God and honorable to the idea of the Lord's Supper, they were actually doing exactly the opposite. Paul says, I, I hear there are divisions among you, exist among you, and in part I believe it. And of course, he, of course he would believe it. He's already talked to them about their factions earlier in the beginning of 
of 1 Corinthians. Some of you are from Apollos. Some of you are from Paul. But Paul says, actually, I have another reason for believing there's factions among you. And he says, because there must. For there must also be factions among you. God has a purpose for these factions so that those who are approved may be, become evident among you. In other words, God uses divisions within the church, even though they're never honoring to him. He, he understands it's necessary because as you stand for truth, it will demonstrate for those who are truly following after Christ, those who are tested and approved, whether they are approved and, and demonstrate the righteousness or demonstrate even their salvation, that they're saved. He says it's necessary. But he says, what you've done, he says, you don't eat the Lord's Supper. For one of you is, for, for in your eating, each one of you takes your own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses in which to eat or drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? And so Paul says, listen, you're not getting together and celebrating the Lord's Supper properly. You're actually causing divisions in the church as you really demonstrate your sinful and selfish hearts as you get together. And you are disrespecting the Lord's Supper. Some of you are coming drunk. And everything that the Lord's Supper stands for in the Lord Jesus Christ and the unity of salvation and what we've been saved from and to, he says, you are not demonstrating as a church. And he says, instead of this being a, a, a moment, a proper celebration that brings unity to the church, you're actually ripping it apart. And so Paul says, guess what? Then I'm going, to, I'm going to remind you of something for I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you. I've already given you this information. I've already told, I'm not telling you anything new, but you need to hear this again. You need to understand the Lord's Supper so that you recognize what is taking place in the Lord's Supper so that you celebrate it correctly and you understand the gravity of the Lord's Supper. And so he says, really, we saw last time a, a proper celebration of the Lord's Supper gives us a proper view of Christ's death or Christ's cross. And then he goes through and he says, I, I want you to see this. And when he had given thanks, he broke bread and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Christ condescended from heaven to live a perfect life. And he is now symbolized in the bread and everything that he did in his humanity is, is held together with that body. His human body and a perfect life lived. And everything that he accomplished as a human being is represented in his body. And he says, you are now in me and I, we break that one loaf. Demonstrating our unity in Christ. In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying this is a new covenant in my blood. I shed my blood. There was what life in the blood I must I had to give my life and my blood covers the sin covers sin and I am now inaugurating the new covenant and new covenant blessings are now yours who are in Christ and you are held together as a community because you are what held together in the in the covenant of Christ's blood and then he says, in remembrance of me, and he says that twice. 
In other words, I want you to make this an actual time where you go back and you remember what Christ has done and you, re, you, you experience it as it were so that you might, in remembering the past, bring it into the present so that you now can look forward to the future. And you remember, I am saved. I've been delivered. What Christ did for me delivered me from sin. And now I have the power to live and the impetus to live godly now in the hope of Christ's return in the future. And so Paul says, for often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The gospel is preached. People see it. We preach the gospel to one another as we celebrate it. And we look forward to that time that he comes. So Paul says a, a proper celebration of the Lord's Supper produces unity. A proper celebration of the Lord's Supper points back to a proper understanding of the cross. And now as we go to verse 27, and really as we're closing this mini-series, it wasn't intended to be a mini-series, it was supposed to be one sermon, but we've, we've turned it into a mini-series. He says, a proper celebration of the Lord's Supper protects, protects against divine discipline, against divine discipline. And so Paul begins this section about celebrating the Lord's Supper and he condemns unworthy participation in the Lord's Supper. He says, therefore, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So he starts and he says, therefore, in light of everything that I've just told you, in light of everything that I talked about, about the, about the misuse of the Lord's Supper, the perverting of the Lord's Supper in your practice, and everything that I've told you about the reality of what actually took place and what Christ did in the Lord's Supper, and a reminder of, of Christ's cross, he says, now I have some application for you. Here's some stuff that you need to, to how to apply what I've just told you. Here's some information you need to know. He says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in another unworthy manner is guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So right away, we have two questions that should pop into our mind. Two questions that should come into our mind, and I know they came into your mind, but I'm going to say them out loud just so that we're on the same page, okay? The first question should be, is this, what does it mean, unworthy? What does unworthy mean? And then secondly, we want to look at and say, what does it mean to be guilty of the, the blood, the cup and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ? What, what does that mean? Guilty of the body and the blood. So we need to answer those two questions in order for us to understand what's taking place. So the first question is, what does it mean to drink, whoever eats and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner? Now, first of all, I just want to make a comment. Some of your translations, depending on when they were made, will say unworthily, unworthily, okay? He who eats and drinks the Lord's cup unworthily, right, is guilty of the blood. Now, there's a difference between those two translations, and there's a difference in meaning that I think that we need to understand. 
Because traditionally, people have taken that unworthily and say, guess what? I have to be worthy to take the Lord's Supper. I have to be worthy to take the Lord's Supper. In other words, there's something about my performance, something about my, my, my life that has to be at a certain standard in order for me to take the Lord's Supper. And so many people have come to the Lord's Supper and they've not taken the Lord's Supper because they've always done the math and realized they're not perfect and they don't take the Lord's Supper. But you'll notice here, he doesn't say unworthily, he says in an unworthy manner. So the emphasis here is not on the worthiness of the taker, but the manner in which the person takes it. Now I've often said to you, and, and maybe I'm going to change what I say, because I've been thinking this through. I've often said, well, you're unworthy, so that's already been established, come. But the reality is, if you're a believer, you're worthy, but not because you're worthy, but because you stand in the blood and the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so maybe I've been leading you astray by my sloppy comments, but we, we want to understand that you come here and this is for believers and every believer is worthy because they stand not in their righteousness, not in their works, not in their performance, but in what? The righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what does it mean then? Let's get back to our question. We're getting sidetracked again. This is like fundamentals of the faith where, except there's no one asking me questions here. <laughs> so what does it mean to be what? Unworthy, an unworthy manner. What does that mean? Well, if we were going to look at the Corinthians, we would say that they were coming in a unworthy manner, were they not? They were demonstrating, and I would say this, and, and I, I want to, I think there's, there's two levels here. I think there's corporate sin and there's individual sin. Because it's quite obvious that the divisions within the church were being created and the church itself was, was causing trouble by having divisions among it. And they were, they were having this class warfare. But you never get class warfare without personal sin because you have to have individuals who are committing those sins. And as you look at this church, not only was a division caused, but it was caused by what the selfishness and the self-centeredness of the people within the church. And they were coming to the Lord's Supper and they were, they were first of all thinking of themselves. I'm gonna, eat, I'm gonna eat food. I'm hungry, I'm gonna eat. I'm not gonna wait. I'm gonna consider myself more important than others. And so there was definitely that attitude there. There were those who were what? Drinking until they were what? Drunk. Now, that may seem kind of normal for our, our day and age, but when you recognize that they did not have dis distillers back then, right? It was very, very hard for them, and they've worked with yeast, and I think they've gotten yeast, you know, a lot of your wine is 7%, but a lot of their wine was at 3 or 4%, and they used to water it down to, eat, to drink it. So whoever was getting drunk here was working at it, right? They, it took effort. Like you, you just did, it wasn't like where you, you, you take a hard liquor and it sneaks up on you. There's no sneaking here. You're working at it, right? And so here is this group of people who, who are selfish, who are being drunk, who are doing all of these things. 
at a quote, a love feast, which was supposed to celebrate their, their togetherness. And then they came to the Lord's Supper where they have already separated themselves by class and money. And they are coming just really disregarding the Lord's Supper. There's no respect. There's no reverence. There's nothing. They're drunk. And in so many ways, they have what? They have come in an unworthy manner. They've come in, in a selfish spirit. They've come drunk with no reverence, no respect, in sin. And so he says, you come in an unworthy manner. And we, we can come in an unworthy manner too, can't we? Now we normally have our love feast after church, not, not before, right? But the idea is what we, we can come in an unworthy manner too, right? How can we do that? Well, we can, we can actually profane the Lord's table and come in an unworthy manner simply by ignoring it, by not, by not practicing it. And there are churches who don't. There are churches who will go a full year. They'll have it once a year, once every five years. And so by simply ignoring it, they profane it because they say it's not important. It's not important. Yet it is one of the two ordinances that Christ left for the church. Surely there should be some urgency on it. How else? By failing to observe it meaningfully. We can go through it just as a ritual, right? Ritualistic. We just come. That's what we do. First Sunday of every month, we just pull out the elements and we go through, we go through the motions. We're not remembering. We're not giving it consideration. We're just going through it like a robot. There's no experiencing communion with Christ. And I'm not talking about corporately. I'm talking about individually as you commune with him. There are those who take it because they think it saves them. Right? There are those who take it because they think it's necessary for salvation. This is what's purifying them. This is what's keeping them right before God. That's blasphemy. Right? That's blasphemy. And we can do it. We can come unworthily by refusing to confess and repent of our sin. That includes the things that the Corinthians were doing. That includes being someone who's divisive, one who's tearing the body apart, one who is, who is not understanding that we are all equal at the bottom of the cross. But it also means there are, there are personal sins that we are in, in habitually in that we need to confess before we come. Because if we are celebrating the fact that Christ died for sin and we come in sin, we are standing really in opposition. And so there is that time where we need to look and say, okay, is there, is there business that I need to take care of before I take the Lord's Supper? Do I have unresolved bitterness to other Christians? 
Are there things that I am hiding and covering up in my life that I need to deal with? And then again, like the Corinthians, do we have a lack of respect and love for, for his children? Are we, are we sitting here amongst people without any kind of Christian love? And he says, that goes against the whole tenure of, of the Lord's Supper. Well, he says, if you come in an unworthy manner, and we can come in an unworthy manner, you shall be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. And so there's that second question. What does it mean to be guilty of the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, this term has the idea of being liable. Guilty. This is the word that is said here. So how are we liable for the body of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, when we come in an unworthy manner, we are disrespecting the table. And in disrespecting the table, we are, dis we are disrespecting and defaming the one that the table represents. One of the advice that you get when you go to seminary is this. When you, when you preach your illustrations need to be as appropriate and heavy as the topic that you're dealing with. In other words, you need to make sure that your illustration is, has enough weight to go with the matter that you're going with, right? So if you talk about religious persecution and people being beheaded and throwing into oil and boiled, and then you compare it to a slight that you had in, in, in junior high. You're really making, you're disrespecting the suffering of people. Right? You're, you're, if I say Jesus Christ died on the cross and, and the pain that he had, and it reminds me of the paper cut I had, you're making light of it. Right? It's like, it's like it used to be anyway. It used to be like stepping on the flag of a country. You didn't desecrate the flag because the flag stood for who? For the country. It used to be a crime. And Paul says, when you come to the, to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, you are defaming the one for whom the, this table stands for. How you treat the table is how you are treating Jesus. And so you are, you are in fact failing to acknowledge the reality and the seriousness of the Lord's table and who it represents. And so you are actually liable and guilty before God for disrespecting the Lord Jesus Christ. Now some theologians would go this far they would say that you are liable for the, 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 the blood and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ because you are basically guilty of the sins that put him on the cross. And the idea is that you are, you are liable, you are now guilty 
of the very sins that put him on the cross because you're disrespecting what he does. Now that ups it a little bit. I'm not sure I go that far. I don't. But the reality is, is we need to see the seriousness of what we are defaming. And so he says to us this morning, you're guilty of the body and the blood if you eat in an unworthy manner. Well, how do we avoid this? Self-examination is essential. This is, this is what he, he now tells us. He says, but a man must examine himself and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So he says, you must examine yourself. Uh, this is a present tense imperative, which I know you guys like it when I say that. But the idea is simply this. Every time you come, the command is for you to what? Examine yourself. Now, you'll notice that every time that we do the Lord's Supper, that I read these warnings, right? Why? Because the command is there to examine. And it would, I would be negligent if I didn't. And so we are called to examine ourselves, to, to do a personal inventory prior to celebrating the Lord's Supper. Looking honestly at our hearts for anything that should not be there and sifting out all evil our motives, our attitudes towards the Lord, his word, towards his people, towards the communion service itself should all come under private scrutiny before the Lord. Now, I would suggest to you that you know that we're coming to communion. You can actually start this early, right? Because there's sometimes where we come here and we think like, wow, like communion's pretty heavy, man. And I know that there's some of us, and, and I know that I have in the past, you walk in, oh no, it's communion, right? Oh no, it's going to be heavy. I'm going to have to deal with stuff, right? And yet, we can start dealing with some of this stuff so it's not so heavy, right? And this is, this is not, we want to make sure that we're not waiting for communion to confess our sin. That's something that we should be get, have short accounts and that we are doing continually, right? So here as we come, we examine ourselves and we examine our motives even as we come to the Lord's table. Am I actually remembering? Am I actually taking this seriously, right? It's not just about personal sin and trying to find that one little sin that you think you need to confess. If the Holy Spirit brings a sin to your mind, then certainly deal with it. But you also need to examine, am I coming in a, worth, in a worthy manner? Am I coming in a way that respects the table? Am I, am I giving it the gravitas that it needs, the gravity? And so we must examine our hearts. And we should confess any sin that we have and to forsake it. So we must test ourselves. We must discern Determining the genuineness and the, and the valuableness, the genuineness of our coming to the Lord's table. Now notice this. 
And in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That really has the force of an imperative, of a command. In other words, when we come to the Lord's Supper, it's not an option for you to be taking it as a believer. It's not an option. Right? And so remember when we started, we talked about those who thought they weren't worthy, so they never took the Lord's Supper. He says, examine yourself and what? Take it. You don't have the option as a believer to continually come to the Lord's table and walk away from it. That's disobedience. He said, get baptized. He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, that's actually an option, right? Neither is the Lord's table. As often as you do it, what you are to what? Participate in it. So two things happen here. Right? First of all, it forces you to, exam to examine. It forces you to take the Lord's Supper seriously. And it forces you to remember what Christ has done. What he's accomplished on our behalf. Because it would be easy for those of us who, who start to slide into sin to avoid this. Right? Because you can even mark it on your calendar. You know what happens on the first Sunday of every month. And guess what? We could be absent, right? And yet he says, you must. You must. You must do it. It's interesting, isn't it? It's easy to miss. But we are not to be those who miss the Lord's Supper. Now, there may, be, there may be a sin issue that you need to deal with. You might need to go to a brother before you take it. We're not going to be legalistic and say if you miss it once. You know, we're going to take Matthew 18 and start down that path. But you need to be dealing with it. And this is why we take the Lord's Supper regularly. So that you guys, so that we don't have an out. Right? Well, I'll make up with my brother once we have communion, but it's not for another two years. So I can hold this grudge for a while, right? Can't do that. We take it regularly so that we, de we deal with business regularly. And quite frankly, we need to be reminded of what Christ has done for us and what he saved us from and what he saved us to. It is an impetus for righteous living. Well, he says the, the reality of judgment is still here. He says the possibility of judgment in verse 29. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Now, the King James Version here does not do us any favors. For again, I believe it says in, in the original King James... I shouldn't say the original because we've had four copies to the one King James Version we have now, or five. It says damnation instead of judgment. And that sounds like if you eat in an unworthy manner, you're, you're going to be sent to hell. But that's not what he's saying. 
And really, if we were going to take the flavor of the passage, and it's going to be clear later on, we would say, he, for he who eats and drinks, drinks judgment or drink, drinks chastisement to himself. In other words, this is punishment from God. This is not damnation of an unbeliever. This is not heaven or hell. This is what we would call motivation and sanctification. Okay, this is God dealing with his children. He says, if he does not judge the body rightly, if he doesn't make a right assessment, if he doesn't make a right assessment of what the body is. So now the question needs to be right here is what is the body? I know that's a question that came to your mind right away. What is the body? Judge the body. What does he mean by the body? Well, some have said, well, the body, that refers to the church. In context, they've been fighting. And so we need to judge whether we have divisions within the body. Well, it would seem to me that that would limit the word unworthy a little bit too much. Right? If, 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 if all we have to worry about in coming together is that we're not fighting or we don't have divisions, that leaves a lot of other ways to come, right? And I think the Corinthians were guilty of much more than just divisions. Well, maybe this means the body is my body. I need to judge myself and therefore I will, I will figure out if I'm in trouble or not. But I think, why didn't he just say, judge, your, judge yourself? He's already said that. So I would understand that what he is saying here by the, by bought the body is referring back in context here to drinking the bread and the cup, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, if, if you eat and drink unworthily, because you have not judged the seriousness of the Lord's Supper and you have understood how you need to come and what it means, he says, guess what? You're eating judgment to yourself because you, you didn't rightly come up with the right idea that this is celebrating who Christ, what Christ has done, what he's accomplished for us and what we, our common salvation and what we need to do. McDonald says, we should realize that the Lord's body was given in order that our sins might be put away. If we go on living in sin while at the same time partaking of the Lord's Supper, we are living a lie. If we eat the Lord's Supper with an unjudged sin upon us, we do not discern the Lord's body, which is broken, to put it away. That makes sense? He died to put away our sin, and we're coming in an unworthy manner, in a sinful manner. And we haven't judged what he has done for us properly. Then he continues on here. Not only is it a possibility of judgment, the, the reality is, or chastisement, the reality is there can be. He says in verse 30, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. In other words, there are some of you, you Corinthians, who have what? Not judged rightly. 
You've come in an unworthy manner. You have defamed the Lord Jesus Christ by by defaming the Lord's Supper. And he says the reality is, for this reason, many of you. Notice that. He doesn't say some or a couple. He says many. More, more than a few. This is a serious problem. I don't know how many. But it seems to be enough. Enough that you would. It should be noticeable anyway. Not just one, not just two, but many. He says, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. Now, we often read that, but I'm not sure we actually hear it, and then I'm not actually sure that we believe it, right? After all, right? We're New Testament believers. We're, we're, not, we're not like those people in the Old Testament, right? We're not the Israelites that got punished. We're not the ones who got left, you know. We didn't bury the bodies in, in the desert. And we uh, were not the ones who went into Babylon, right, because of our sin. That was God of the Old Testament. He, he was a little angry. But we, we live by grace. And our God, you're right, he is, he's too loving to send anybody to hell. And if he wouldn't send anybody to hell, he certainly wouldn't punish his own children, Right? After all, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, right? Wrong. Wrong. God says, actually, no, actually here in the New Testament, guess what? There are some who are weak, some who are sick, and some sleep. Now, I'm not talking about people in church who get a little warm and nod off here, right? Sleep is a, is, is a metaphor in Scripture for what? Death. Death. And he says, the Lord is, is, is chastising believers because they have disrespected the Lord Jesus Christ by disrespecting the supper that celebrates what he did on their behalf. He says, some of you are weak. Right? Some of you are, aren't able to perform like you once did. You're not able to have the strength that maybe you once had without strength or bodily vigor. And he said, some of you are coming here to what? To the Lord's Supper. And because of your sin, God is giving you weakness. He says, some of you are sick. That's what it means. Sick means sick. He says, there's sickness among you. And then he says, some of you have fallen asleep. Some of you are dead. Some of you are dead. God has taken you home. God has said, listen, rather than continue to profane Jesus Christ through misusing the Lord's Supper, I'll take you home. I'll take you home. 
That's how serious the Lord takes the Lord's Supper and what it represents. I am willing to cut people's life short to bring them back to, to myself so they will not profane the Lord's Supper. This is a large number of use and the number of you sleep. We often don't think of that, do we? We often think that, well, we can sin without. But what does Hebrews 12, 6 tell us? That he what? He chastens those he loves, right? Talks about if, you're, if your earthly father disciplines you, how much more your heavenly father. Believe it. Believe it. God still chastises his children who, are, who continue in a pattern of sin. certainly remember Ananias and Sapphira don't we right lying to the Holy Spirit you almost have to wonder if Ananias and Sapphira were doing this at church bragging about giving the money lying what did the early church do almost every time they got together yeah you almost have to wonder don't you if they had not celebrated the Lord's Supper with this lie and God said enough God said enough and it's very interesting if you, if you just trace the book of Acts right you start with persecution from outside the church and God is building his church protecting his church and then all of a sudden from inside rises that first corruption and God what deals with it God sees the seriousness of sin and he certainly will not allow the Lord's table to be profaned purpose of judgment but if we judge ourselves rightly we would not be judged this is why this is why we 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 examine ourselves if we judge ourselves correctly if we examine our motives and our hearts as we come we won't be judged we won't be chastened again that word here should be chastened we won't be disciplined by the lord but when we are judged, we are what? Disciplined by the Lord. There it is. If you didn't believe me, now, now, now Paul just says it for us, right? You won't be disciplined by the Lord. We are disciplined by the Lord so that we will what? Not be condemned as the world. In other words, there are, the world is condemned. The world is, is unrepentant. And they are under God's wrath. They are condemned here, right? The con condemnation, right? We said we are under no condemnation. What condemnation? The wrath of God that will send them to hell. And he says, for you as a believer, this isn't for you. Right? All these warnings so far are for who? Believers. Not for unbelievers. The unbelievers are already condemned. He's already under the wrath of God. But he says, we are disciplined. We won't be disciplined. And he does discipline us to keep us from being condemned, right? Two things it does. When you're disciplined by the Lord, it demonstrates you're what? His. You sin. You keep sinning. 
nothing happens, you need to take a look. You may claim his name, but you, he might not claim you. He might not know you, right? And so you need to look. Because he disciplines his children. And in disciplining you, he, he brings you back to himself. Discipline is not for condemnation, but for restoration. And he wants you to repent of your sin and come back into relationship with him. And this is how he purifies you. And this is how he keeps you because he disciplines you and you repent and you come back to him and you per persevere and demonstrate that you are his. And so we must judge ourselves so that we are not condemned with the world. And then he really closes this section, we could say maybe with a summary as, as he comes along and he says, so then my brethren, in light of everything that I've just said, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. He says, you guys were coming together and you were, you were eating and before one another and you were getting drunk and some were hungry and some were thirsty. It even appears that they were celebrating the Lord's Supper in disarray. And so he says, if you have a love feast, wait for one another. Don't be selfish. And when you serve the Lord's Supper, what? Wait for one another. Do it together. Do it together. Celebrate your unity. And that's why one of the reasons that I, I, I like the way that we celebrate the Lord's Supper is that we take it together. We don't, we don't take it separately. We don't, go our, we don't take it at different times. We do it unified together. We wait for one another and we take it together. And so Paul says, wait for one another. Don't come selfishly. Don't come greedily but wait for one another. He says, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. In other words, if your problem is, is that you start eating early and, and you, you come together, he says, eat before you come, right? The purpose of, of the Lord's Supper and he, is not for you to what? To get physical food, but spiritual food. So eat at home. Eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. It's better for you to eat at home than for you to start coming together overeating and being a glutton and selfish and, and causing divisions in the body, getting drunk, all of those things. So that you will ultimately bring God's chastisement upon you. So this should be the attitude of oneness and fellowship. There should be a thoughtful, courteous spirit towards the brethren. And so we are to come together and take the Lord's Supper together. Then he finishes off, the remaining matters I will arrange when I come. And my, Paul says, I have a few more things that need to take place. Maybe not everything, I don't know everything, and maybe there are some things that I want to address when I get there. But he says, I'm going to come, and I will arrange them. I will put them in place. I will give you 
some authoritative teaching when I arrive. We don't know what the matters are. I'd like to speculate because that's always fun, but it's fruitless, right? It's fruitless. So he says, I, I will arrange it. I will put it in order when I get there. And so Paul closes this section with, again, a call to unity, a call for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper properly that we might honor our Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we, as we look at this, we are reminded again, and I just say this, that the Lord's Supper, our celebration of the Lord's Supper must reflect the seriousness of the content of the Lord's Supper. Now, I just want to make sure this does not mean that we come together and this becomes this heavy loaf of bread that every time on, and we have this heaviness because we're doing all this examination, right? We come with seriousness. We come with respect. But we also come with joy because we are celebrating what he has accomplished on our behalf, our salvation, and the hope that we have for the future. So yes, respect, somberness, with the gravity that it deserves, but also that does not exclude the joy that we have and the celebration that we have as we come to the Lord's table. So I, I pray that our practice as a church and as us individuals would reflect that we do examine ourselves, that we come in a worthy manner, and that we celebrate the Lord's death until he comes, and that we do honor to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We again thank you for these warnings that Paul gives, this instruction. I pray that we would take it to heart that we would recognize the necessity of the Lord's Supper to recognize what Christ has done for us and that we would come in a worthy manner, that we would, again, prepare our hearts to take the Lord's table, that we would be remembering what our Christ has accomplished for us, our great salvation together, and that we would be honoring to you as we celebrate as a church together. We pray this in your name and for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, in your name, amen.